0: In our Bibles, we're in the second chapter of 1 Timothy today, and so we're moving quite along in this great epistle. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy this letter to clarify the church's mission and to make sure that the church understood how we are to live, how we're to engage in life together and, and demonstrate Christ as we are his body. In the first chapter, he made it clear that we are to be grounded in truth and that we are protectors of truth. Inevitably, false teachers attempt to sway people away from true doctrine, even moving them away from the gospel, and that's what was happening here in Ephesus. So chapter 1 is really a very bold but simple proclamation that that is Jesus Christ came to save sinners, If you want to know what God is doing in the world, this is it. He has come to save sinners. Therefore, any message of salvation other than being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the wrong message. This is the message, that Christ came to save sinners. So the Ephesian church... Had within its ranks, among its leaders, false teachers that were beginning to proclaim something other than that, other than the true gospel. They were leading people away from Christ and faith and the doctrine that Christ had established and proclaimed through his apostles. They were leading them away from that. So Paul is writing this letter. The primary purpose is to charge those who are false teaching, charge them with that and get them out of those positions and settle back the church into the apostles' teaching. By the way, the apostles' teachings are the teachings of Christ. Those are the messages that Christ taught the disciples and then he commissioned them out to make sure that they were multiplied throughout the churches and then throughout the world. Now, as we turn to chapter 2, we're going to see that there's a grounding here of the purpose of the church. So we we know the message of the church, and that is that Christ came to save sinners. And now he's sort of grinding down into now here, here's how we're going to purposefully distribute that around the world. So chapter two, verse one through seven, let's read God's word together. Let's pause for a minute and just pray. Father, as we read this word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us eyes to read the truth and ears to hear it, but more than just an audible or a visual, God, that you would help it to permeate deep within who we are, so that our beings will be transformed by this reading. I pray that that power that only the Spirit can bring would be evident today and change lives including my own to the glory of Jesus amen first of all then I urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is the testimony given at the proper time? For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, the core message of this passage, and really the message of the entirety of the New Testament, is summarized well in verses 4 and 5. If I can just repeat that again, here's what he says. God our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now God desires salvation for people, thus it is the desire and the focus of Meadowbrook and should be for of all churches. Metterbrook must point people to Jesus Christ. That means we recognize that he is the means of salvation. So we point people to him, the means of salvation, and we proclaim the gospel truth to them and we disciple them in that gospel truth to the point that they can become disciplers of those truths themselves. Now this is what we must do unreservedly and this is what we must do without bias. In other words, it is to be broad, it's to be wide and it is to be inclusive of all people. The broadness of the gospel commission is clearly seen in this text. In verse 1, he says, pray for all people. In verse 4, God desires all people to be saved. And at the end of the passage today, in verse 6, he says that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. And I could even make an argument in verse 7, he's talking the same thing where he says, and I have been appointed to this to Gentiles and Jews alike. He's saying this to all people. So in the first century church, that church in Ephesus was struggling with this. They were struggling with this central purpose and central goal and here we are 1950 years later and to some measure, Meadowbrook struggles with the same thing and I would say that all evangelical churches have this sense of struggle. Churches have a tendency to start looking inward to start focusing inwardly and what Christ has called us to do and now the apostles are doing the same. The scripture is telling us the same. Have an outward focus. Yes, we are to focus on one another in love and good deeds. We are to minister to one another and serve one another. We are to be a demonstration of what it's gonna be like in heaven when the saints of God have come together. But we must also focus outwardly in a broad and expansive way This passage helps us to reset that vision. It helps us individually and it helps us collectively as a church family to have a reset in this purpose that Christ has established for us. Verse 1 of chapter 2 is the reset. Paul says, first this, first of all this. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, that verse might just slip past you because there's some repetitiveness to it. At least we think there might be repetitive to to it. But really, this verse is helping us to condition and align our hearts with God and his purposes. You say, well, I don't see the purposes of God in this. Listen, what this verse is doing is helping us to have the heart that God has. And how we have a heart of God and have the heart of God is in prayer Prayer is what triggers, it aligns, it conditions our hearts that we might be like Christ. So if you wanna see more people be saved, like what Paul is talking about, then here's what he's saying, pray. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you do not go to God yourself. And I think Spurgeon is on to some truth there. If you and I are going to engage with the heart and have the mission of Christ, then we must be close to him in prayer. If you want to be near to the mission of Christ Jesus, then you've got to draw near to him in prayer. And if you want to glow with the passion of Christ within you, then you've got to draw near to his glorious presence. And the way you do that is through prayer. So many of us sense a need to have a greater fervor to be gospel communicators, to share faith, to share the narrative of Christ Jesus. And since many people in this room have not shared the gospel ever, or a number in this room have not shared the gospel very often, then perhaps you feel the Spirit's conviction to do so. This message is not to bring guilt on you. It's not to make you feel guilty to the point that you'll suddenly start doing it. But it does help us when we acknowledge that we don't often have the same passion that Jesus has. And how do you get that same passion? How do we move forward? Here's what Paul says, pray. If you're thinking this message is about you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and getting on with the march of the gospel and that you're going to be able to do it suddenly in your own strength and your own power, it's the wrong message. Here's the message that I have to proclaim. Jesus says, condition your heart and align your heart. Do it through prayer and I will fill you with passion. I'll give you the urgency. I'll give you the unction that you will become a discipler one to share the gospel. So how do we move forward? Paul says, here's the way you move forward. Here's the first step. It's funny. He says, first of all, this. He never comes to a second step. He never comes to a third step, a fourth step. He just said, this is it. First this, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, I want you to think of one person In your life or around your life that you desire to be saved? Who's the one person you're not certain about their soul? Or soul, and you're certain that it is not given to Christ, is not made new in Christ, and therefore they will be under God's condemnation for the rest of their days and into eternity will be judged, separated from Him. Where there is weeping and gnashing of two. Who's the one person in your life that comes to mind that needs to be saved? And I want you to think about that person and I want to begin thinking about what Paul is calling us to do in prayer for that person. Now, the one of many people in my life, but one person that is on the forefront right now that I'm having gospel conversation with who needs to be saved, his name is Kevin. Now, it's not our Kevin. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know what's in Kevin's life, but I'm pretty sure that he's saved. But this particular Kevin in my life, that the Spirit of God has drawn into my life, I want to see him saved. I have a desire for that. Now, who's that one person in your life? Now, again, this isn't meant to heap guilt upon you. If you can't come up with that person, Here's what Paul says, first thing, pray. Your heart needs to be conditioned like that of Christ. Christ was always seeking to save the lost. So if you're not even able to identify one person, and Christians have a way of kind of disassociating. It's not that we're intentionally disassociating from lost people. I don't know about you, but I hang out with saved people all the time. What I do puts me in the environment of saved people. My family, saved, to the glory of God, saved. My friends that I go to dinner with and hang out with, they invite me over, I invite them over, saved. I get that. You and I have to be conditioned in our heart to seek like Christ seeks and know people who need to know him. Him. All right, so if you have somebody in your mind right now, that one person that's on your heart right now that you long to be saved, let's just walk through this, what Paul is mentioning to us about how we have evangelistic prayer. He gives us four aspects of evangelistic praying. The first is this, supplication. All right, so when you are praying with prayers of supplication, there is a need that has arisen in your life uh, has arisen in your life and you are going to the one who is the source he is God the provider and you're on your knees praying prayer of supplication you're asking for something because you need God to move on that something in your life that's supplication so let's turn this into an evangelistic tone only God can save Kevin my friend only God can bring Kevin to an understanding of his need for salvation. Only the Spirit of God can bring conviction in Kevin's life. And only the Spirit of God can actually help him to discover there is a Savior that is looking to, to save him. Only God can do that. Now, he can use me in the process. He can use other people in the process. But really, only God is going to be able to do that. So I can't convince Kevin into something. I can't convince him one way or the other. But the Spirit of God can do that. So I need to pray supplication prayers that God will save him. God In the name of Jesus, I pray that Kevin would understand his need for a Savior, that he would know the weightedness of sin in his life. He would know that he's distant and removed from you, but you want to be close to him. So, God, I'm praying that you would save him. That's a prayer. And then he says, not just supplication, but prayers. Now, that might seem to be redundant. It's not. In the original language of the Bible, the word Translated that we get prayer from, is a word that is only used in context with praying about God. He's not just asking for something. He's asking specifically God for something. Denotes an earnestness in our conversation with God. And it really carries this unique expression of worship that one has with the one true God. It's a real... Deep reverence in this word. So, this is a word that is talking to God in worship to Him and in reverence to Him. Now, how is that going to be an evangelistic prayer? It might go something like this Lord, as you extend grace to Kevin, may he be saved that he might glorify you, he might rejoice in you, he might praise you and that Christ Jesus will be more highly exalted because you have saved Kevin. So I'm asking for salvation, I'm asking for salvation that God might be worshiped in the salvation, that God might be blessed in the midst of the salvation. Then he says intercede. Now the root word here means that you are involving yourself or someone is involving themselves in the life of another. We're interceding. We're getting involved. Because God has loved us and He put His love in us, we will not let people we know remain in their sin and under the judgment of God without doing something about it. That's interceding. I'm going to step into your life and I'm going to intercede in your, on your behalf and with you. I, I'm not going to just stay removed and say, man, I hope that one day He gets saved. No, I want to intercede. I want to come alongside, and I want to interject. I want to be involved relationally so that not only will that person come to know and discover who Christ is, but I want to intercede asking God to get involved in his life. God, please don't let him stay removed from you. God, please let him know your name. God, please let him have understanding the scripture. I'm interceding, and then finally, I'm giving thanks I'm showing gratitude, and in this way, thank you, God, for the gospel. Thank you for hope. Thank you that you are still seeking and saving the lost. Thank you that I know that you're moving towards Kevin. Does that make sense? Here's what he's asking us to do. Prayers of supplication, prayers of engaging conversation with God, moving that person, hopefully, to worship and engage God in thanksgiving, interceding on his behalf, and having great thanksgiving. Now, I, you can see from that supplication, intercession, uh, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, you can see that there is a, an acrostic that's pretty simple there, and I almost gave it to you. It spits. <laughs> I thought, okay, we don't need to have an acrostic spits uh, to point somebody to gospel evangelistic ways. Let's flip it upside down, and we're gonna go with tips, okay? <laughs> so uh, you just remember tips, and you'll have it when you're driving down the road preferably not 411 south because that your mind is way confused when you're doing that all right you're you're thinking about all those people that do need Jesus and you just might help them meet him pretty soon (laughs) but uh, when you've got some time and you can just drive down the road turn off the radio have that person in mind and you just begin praying tips God thank you that you're still saving people Lord, thank you that you saved me. Thank you that your gospel is so rich. And Lord, thank you that you by your spirit has drawn my attention to that person right now. And I thank you that you're already at work. If you weren't at work, I wouldn't be praying for that individual. So thank you, Lord. And Lord, I just want to intercede. Not only do I want to get involved in that person's life, but God, I'm asking on their behalf that you get involved in their life. That by your spirit, you'll convict them of their sin. And by your spirit, you'll help them to discover the grace of Jesus Christ. And God, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that movement. But Lord, I'm asking that you be at the helm of that. And Lord, I'm praying for that person. I'm praying, Lord, that they'll be saved, that they too might become one to pray and worship you and show gratitude to you. I'm praying for that individual. And Lord, I'm asking you to do something that only you can do. I'm just reckoning that I can't bring them to salvation, but you can. You've done it to a few million people this year, Lord. I'm trusting that you can and want to save that individual. So I'm asking you to do what only you can do I'm asking you to save that person now that'll condition your heart and that'll bring power to the conversations that you'll have with that person now let me ask you if you and I are driving north on 411 and we're praying that kind of prayer what kind of conversation do you think we'll be anticipating with that individual you think you'll be worried about "Eh, may or may not share no I'm going to tell you if you're praying that kind of prayer, your heart will be conditioned and your purpose will, will be in alignment with Jesus. And there's no question, you'll see the avenues open up and you'll be having conversation with that person about who Jesus Christ is. So Paul says, first of all, pray. Pray in these ways and see what God will do. Now let me just, just throw this out here for a moment. Hoping someone will be saved is not like praying for somebody to be saved. When I was a kid, I can remember I had some tiger pajamas. I'm talking about a little kid, five, six, seven years old. And my tiger pajamas were like filled with static electricity. I could get under the covers in the blanket and I could run my legs back and forth and it was just like the 4th of July going off in my bed. (laughs) Anybody ever had a pair of pajamas like that? I don't know what they're made from, probably came from China or somewhere, but man, there was like fireworks going off everywhere. I didn't really worry about getting electrocuted in my bed by running my pajamas back and forth. There's not much power to that, right? All right, so hoping that your friends and your coworkers and your classmates are gonna be saved It's about the power of static electricity in your bed. You ain't gonna get anybody charged up there. But prayer is different. Prayer is like a lightning bolt from from the throne of God and it will thunder into their life and it will bring transformation to them like you've never experienced with anybody else that you haven't prayed for. Prayer changes things. And if you want people to be saved, pray. You want them to be saved. Call their name out very specifically. So here's what Paul's saying. Prayer is transformational spiritual work. The lost get saved. It empowers those who are going to proclaim the word. There's power in prayer. And as it aligns our heart with God's heart and God's will, things happen. Secondly, he says this. Pray specifically and broadly for salvation of people now specifically I'm saying call them out by name but don't just pray specifically about a few people pray broadly look for the opportunity to pray in broad ways in fact Paul says I urge you to pray for all people everywhere pray very broadly and I believe what he has in mind here is that we see people as eternal beings so when we're in the checkout line And we're looking around two rows over. You're not going to be able to have a conversation with that person unless you wait outside in the parking lot and have conversation with them. But more than likely, they're going to be gone before you're gone because you choose the slow line like I do. It's just a knack that I have. Which one is this going to move quicker? I'll choose this one. And 20 minutes later, I'm like, good grief. Why did I choose this line? All right, so those folks are already be gone. But I need to be looking over there and saying, God, please, thank you for salvation. I ask, Lord, that you would intercede in that person's life. I don't know them, but, Lord, just I intercede for them. I pray for them now, Lord, that they would be gloriously saved, and if they're saved, that you would grow them in their faith. And, Lord, I pray that you can do, that you'll do what only you can do, And just see people praying broadly for people, driving down the road, pray for people. Scanning Facebook, which is a total waste of time, but just pray for people as you do that. And just sense that God wants you to pray for all people everywhere. See them as spiritually eternal beings. you know that God has created every single person to be made for eternity? There's not a single person on the planet that is not eternal. God has given them a soul. The question is not if they're eternal. The question is where will they spend eternity? So we need to be praying for people. Pray for all people everywhere, he says. Make it broad. Use the tips and and pray that God will bring salvation in their life. So let's be spiritually aware and prayerful of people and the need for salvation for all people when moving about the community. Now, this might be a good place for us to note that God's perfect wisdom is certain in salvation. Now, listen, because this is going to be a little bit confusing, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Because some people argue that only the elect are saved, and that's true. Others argue whosoever will may come, and that's true. We should be humble enough to admit that God is sovereignly electing people to be saved and yet he says, I want my gospel to go out broadly and widely to everyone because I desire all people to be saved. You say, Randy, it sounds like you're saying two different things. And in some ways, I am. That's where faith comes in. Lord, I don't understand everything that there is to know about this great election that you have for the saints of God. And I don't understand how all people are to be saved, but I have faith in you that your knowledge and your wisdom far exceeds mine, and I trust you to bring balance to that which seems paradoxical to me. I just trust you. And here's what he's going to offer to us, you leave the election up to me and I'll leave you getting the word out to everybody. You do your part and God says, I'll do my part. I'll do my part, now you do your part. And I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? That we can just settle into, I don't understand everything about the scripture and how it all comes together and how it balances out and how it's harmonious, but God certainly does. And my faith is that God can certainly work through all of that and maybe one day in the future we'll know how he does that so our role is very specific pray and cast the net very broadly for the gospel and all people even kings and those who are in rule over us even those folks praying for them and it's God's job to save them unfortunately some people get too caught up in debating god's role of the salvation experience while neglecting what he has specifically called them to do which is to pray and to share so let's keep praying and let's keep sharing and leave the results up to god all right so christ transforms communities here's what paul is saying when they hear and receive the gospel the community is transformed Now, that's an important statement for us. It's a true statement, but it's exclusive. You hear this. There's no transformation of a community without the gospel. Society is not changed without the gospel. Now, that we must keep in mind when we are bothered by the chaos in society today. The culture is a muck, isn't it? And you and I can watch the news or read the news, and we can say, Man, this thing is turned upside down. And it is. But without the gospel, it's going to stay that way. Without the gospel, people remain spiritually dead in their sin and desperately wicked. Without the gospel, they remain rebellious to God and disobedient to his commands. Without the gospel, God's conviction and judgment remains on them. Yet, God is for them, and God desires them to be saved, and God desires them to come to the knowledge of truth. But there is one way and only one way in which people are saved. Now, antagonism against Christians is on the rise in the U.S., and it will continue unless our country experiences spiritual awakening in Jesus Christ. Today's passage points to that. Let's just go back for a moment. Here's the blessings that occur when people are being saved. Number one, Christ is exalted and glorified. When people are saved, Christ is exalted. He's worshiped. He is glorified. And people experience new life in Jesus. And here's what today's passage is talking about. He says that as people are being saved and communities are transformed, Christians can live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, that's a wonderful, blessed event that comes when people are being transformed by the gospel, that Christians have opportunity. Now, I do think that the antagonism towards Christians is going to continue, and it's going to grow more broadly, especially as the moral and sexual revolutionists continue to to proclaim that we have no right to trust in God or his creative order or his law, Clearly, Christians and Christian organizations are going to have a difficult road to hoe in the days ahead. We have challenging days ahead. The Equality Act that is currently being pushed by President Biden and many progressives on the, the liberal side of things have presented to the country a massive religious liberties issue, especially distinctly biblical organizations and institutes. You and I, We'll have a very difficult time as a church proclaiming the things that Christ has called us to proclaim if this act passes. If you're a Christian school, you're a Christian college, you're a Christian business, this is going to call into question your ability to act in the things that you believe the Bible gives you specific instruction on. Antagonism is raising. Now catch this, because I want you to hear me clearly. A change in the president, a change in Congress, A change in any political way will not change the fact that that is going to continue. The change comes when people are spiritually transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the change happens. And here's what Paul says, when the gospel is going forward and communities are receiving the gospel, people of the community are receiving the gospel, then the community is transformed and Christians can live at peace christians can live in a way that they can express their life in christ and they can live in a way that is good and right and noble and pure so let's understand that the peaceful quiet life that paul is talking about is not an idyllic suburban life of things just being good and well no it's faithfully expressing the life that we have in christ It's being open in our witness and open in our worship and being able to engage in a way that's honorable to Christ and obedient to his word and doing it without resolve from others to stop it. That's what we long for, people to be saved and in their salvation, we have the blessing of being able to live quiet and peaceful life, exercising Christ-likeness in Christian ways. All right, look at the next point. Salvation is mediated and paid for by Christ there's one God there's one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all so if you're here today and you remain under God's judgment your sin he is judging and that judgment is resting on you I have good news for you today Jesus desires you to be saved Jesus desires to mediate between God and you. And Jesus desires you to be saved to the point that he has paid becoming the payment for your salvation. That's good news, isn't it? You don't have to work your way to heaven. You don't have to work your way to salvation. You can try to do that, but I can tell you you'll fail miserably short. And you will be expressly exhausted by the time you've figured that out. How about just come to Christ in faith? Come to him in faith that he is the mediator, the only mediator who can bring God and you together, and he is the only one by which can make the payment, by who can make the payment for your justification. Come to Christ today. Come to him that you might be saved. So it would be foolish for you to stand before God one day, which we're all going to stand before him one day. It would be foolish to plead not guilty, when you know you're guilty and everybody around you knows you're guilty and God who knows every word ever uttered by you and every thought ever in your brain when God knows every action you've ever committed God knows all those things it would be foolish to stand before him and say I'm not guilty that would be foolish And it would be foolish to stand before God one day and believe that he's going to turn a blind eye to your sin when he is full of holiness and justice. That would be foolish. And so he is pleading today that you would be saved, urging you to come to the mediator who can fix this. Come to the one who can make payment for your sin, not only take the sin out of your life, give you credit for his righteousness, declare you to be holy before God, and thereby justify you before the great judge. That's what he's calling us to, to come to him in faith. If you're here today and you need to trust Christ, do it today. Don't put that off. Be saved today. There's one God and every person's gonna stand before him in the future, but there's hope, and the hope is in Jesus, who's the mediator between sinful people and holy God. Now, pay careful attention to this fact. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, don't be misguided by anybody who claims that all religions serve the same God. I can tell you that is a lie from hell itself. All religions do not serve the same God. In the scripture, it says it very specifically. There is one God and one mediator, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The, The Bible reveals that God is exclusive. That's the reason why Yahweh says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I mean, that's the number one, right? That's the first of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. I am him, and you shall have no others. So there's exclusivity in salvation. It's found in Christ, but there's a broadness about it as well where Jesus is saying to the world, I desire that you would be saved. So Jesus is that way by which people can be saved. It's incorrect to think that all roads are leading to heaven. Listen, all roads are broad and they are leading to hell. The narrow way through Christ leads to salvation and to the true heaven. This is very specific and clear in the Bible. But isn't it gracious that God desires all people to be saved, for all people to know Him in salvation. And notice how loving and generous it is that Jesus says, Not only do I want you to know the way, I am the way, and I will provide for you the salvation. I'll mediate the salvation for you, and I will be the payment of that salvation. And so Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, the God man, brings God and mankind together again by being the ransom for our salvation, the payment. He's not just making the payment. He is the payment and he's the perfect one who can pay. Never sinned. He can make the payment for us and give us the glorious righteousness. So ransom is a rich theological word and this verse explains that Jesus just didn't pay the price. He is the price and he gave himself for you. The ransom paid by Jesus satisfies The justice that God requires is sufficient for all who put their faith and trust in him. So if you're here today and you're needing salvation, come to Jesus. If you're wanting somebody to be saved, move them to Jesus. Help them to discover who Jesus is. Point them to the scripture. Read the scripture to them. Now here's the final point, and it'll be very quick. God appoints us to pray for and share faith and truth with all people. This, this is our call. If you're saved, this is the call that you and I have in life. Paul says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. That is one going commissioned, to, sent out by God to, do, to uh, declare the wondrous gospel. He says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of Gentiles in faith and truth so this is his purpose and this is our purpose as well if you've been saved God has given you the appointed call to be a communicator of the gospel you see Randy I know that I sense of conviction about not doing that I wish there was more of that in my life then Paul says here's the way you condition your heart first pray Prayers is supplication, prayers and intercession and thanksgiving, pray. Pray specifically and broadly and see if God won't condition your heart and align your heart to his purposes. And I'm certain the more we pray about people being saved, the more people will be saved around us and in our lives. Let's take God at his word and follow him in obedience. Would you pray with me? your head bowed and your eye closed it might be that this message is about salvation for you because God wants you to be saved he desires you to be saved maybe you've been thinking about this maybe you've been putting it off or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard somebody talk about Jesus being the God man who's the mediator and the ransom. As God has helped you to understand his gospel, his good news, won't you receive it? You might pray something like this. Father, I recognize your holiness, your awesomeness, and the wonder of your creation. And I reckon, Lord, that you know me very specifically. You know my sin. You know my intentions. You know my thoughts. And I believe, Lord, that you know I fall desperately short of what you require of your creation. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? All the regret and failures that I've had in my life that I am having and that I will have, will you forgive me of that? Would you make me whole in Jesus Christ? And as you wash away my sin, will you put in me the righteous nature of Jesus? that I might live for him. I choose to lay down my life as it is and take up the way and the life and the cross of Christ. I choose to surrender, forsaking all that I've been following and trusting, forsaking all of that and just following hard after Jesus. If you'll help me, Lord, I'll walk with you from this day forward. Now, my friends, there's no magical words in the prayer. You're saved not by the words, you're saved by faith. If there's a word that's gonna you, save you, it's God's word. Trust him, trust Jesus. And Lord, as you have saved a great number of people in this room, those who are watching and those who are listening, would you help our hearts to be conditioned and aligned with that of Jesus, who seeks to save those who are lost? Would you help us to be given to the gospel that we might communicate it very specifically, broadly as well? Would you condition us in prayer, Lord, that we might be conditioned to be gospel presenters, disciples, to the glory of Jesus, I pray.